Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Touch-free QR code payments. No seller fees until 2021. Not applicable to PayPal here transactions. Other fees may apply. Shop safe with PayPal. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and full plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. Danny stared in amazement as circles of color and bolts of light surged, dancing in kaleidoscope patterns before his very eyes as the music pulsed all around him. He wandered into the restroom and immediately fell. The blue tiles of the floor moved and swirled, bubbling up all around him. He approached the mirror, and what he saw both alarmed him and intrigued him, for staring back at him was a porous, glowing, red-eyed demon. Welcome to SKB, Dissecting the Serial Killer's Brain. I'm your host, Caroline, a university biology professor and true crime junkie. Thanks for joining me on my quest to understand evil. This is episode two of a five-part series, Danny Rawling, the killer cowboy crooner. On the last episode, we left a 16-year-old Danny Rawling. Danny had taken to hanging out with this homeless man, that he had met behind a shopping center. Danny had met him one day when he was wandering around down by the creek and a snake jumped out at him and the homeless man got him to go get a gun and, and then shot the snake. And anyway, so they, they became friends, whatever you want to call them friends. And Danny would go over there and clean up the homeless man's shack. And sometimes then he would sit and drink with them. So this one night when Danny was around 16, he had drank way too much with his homeless buddy and he passed out and woke up early, 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 freaked out and ran home. Uh, He somehow managed to get there just a couple minutes before his dad got home from work. But when his dad got home, he could tell immediately that Danny had been drinking. So of course, in James fashion, he began to call Danny names, yell at him about what a loser he was and, You know, how dare he go out and get drunk when James was working all night to support him and fueled by alcohol. Danny actually stood up to his father this time and told him, told his father that he wasn't afraid of him, punched through a glass window. Of course, though, James was uh, able to outmatch Danny during this fight, got him onto the floor on his stomach and then put Danny in handcuffs called in some of his buddies from the police station. They came and got Danny and took Danny to juvie. Years later, Danny would claim to have been kept in solitary confinement for the majority of this particular stay in juvie when he was 16 years old. I think that solitary confinement at any age is cruel and unusual punishment. But for a juvenile, for somebody who is under 21, This is especially an especially cruel way of punishing. We know the human brain isn't fully developed until at least around age 25. So solitary confinement has adverse effects on a healthy, a mentally healthy adult person. The ramifications of putting a juvenile 16-year-old without a fully developed brain who has been exhibiting antisocial behaviors, putting that juvenile in solitary confinement is just asking for trouble. According to a 2016 article that was published in the William and Mary Law Review, the authors state that prolonged isolation um, among juveniles is correlated with with suicidal ideation, depression, and even future criminal activities. 
Juveniles who were in isolation, even for a few hours, experienced higher levels of anxiety, depression, and paranoia following, following their isolation. And further, 62% of all suicides in juvenile correctional facilities, those juveniles that complete suicide, 62% of them had been held in solitary confinement at some point during, during their time in juvenile. Of that, 50% of those suicides occurred during the actual time that the juvenile was in solitary confinement. Studies have shown that adults following isolation, they'll exhibit hypersensitivity to stimuli, agitation, aggression, fits of rage, chronic depression, even hallucinations and psychosis. This is going to be important in Danny's story. Once Danny was released from juvie, he went back and he told his dad that he wanted to drop out of high school and join the military. Um, At this time, he was close to 17 or just turned 17, and he told his father there was no reason to not sign the paperwork for him because if he didn't sign the paperwork now, then Danny would just wait until he was 18 to join the service. So 1971, Danny dropped out of high school and joined the Air Force. He joined the Air Force because apparently he failed the entrance exam for the Navy. He went through um, basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. So he reported to basic training on June 28, 1971. Once he finished tra- basic training at Lackland Air Force Base, he was sent to um, he was sent to become a security officer or security police officer for the Strategic Air Command at Homestead Air Force Base in Florida. His job there was to guard B-52 bombers and KC-135 tanks. At first, Danny kept to himself. He tried to stay out of trouble. He tried to follow the rules. And he was able to achieve the rank of Airman First Class. It didn't take Danny long to start to engage in antisocial behaviors. He was uh, caught stealing a bicycle, and he was given 30 days in the stockade. During his time at Homestead Air Force Base, he began drinking really, really heavily. And alcohol use, especially binge drinking, during the emerging adult years, so from like 18 to 24, it can lead to underdevelopment of the prefrontal cortex. Now, this is super important because we know the prefrontal cortex is that area of the brain that helps control impulses. So it's imperative and impulse control. It is where critical thinking happens. Um, And it's also where your brain responds to fear, right? So prefrontal cortex, super important, having it nice and perfectly developed so that way you can function without acting like a fool and making poor decisions. So early on, when he was at Homestead Air Force Base, Danny went to go hang out with a new friend. He was a new friend that also lived on the base. And he gets over to the guy's barracks, and the guy had stashed under his blanket um, chocolate mescaline, orange sunshine, marijuana, and quaaludes. And this was, according to Danny, this is the first time he ever tried drugs. So his first experience And we'll talk about the effects of these drugs in a little while. But his first experience included all of these together. Chocolate mescaline. Mescaline is extracted from the um, uh, peyote cactus. And it's mixed with chocolate to cover its really bitter taste. Orange sunshine is a a type of LSD. And quaaludes are, uh, you know, quaaludes are quaaludes. So apparently Danny was pretty messed up and tripping pretty hard. So his friend took him over to the room of uh, a Vietnam vet who then gave Danny some hashish, right? And hash is concentrated THC. And THC is the the part of the uh, marijuana that gets you high. Um, So THC, it's tetrahydrocannabinol. Um, And it gives a calming effect, typically. However, it did not work this way for Danny because instead he was up for two days straight. Danny would later claim that during his time in Homestead, he did uh, acid or LSD more than a hundred times. In the book that he co-authored with um, Sandra London, 
Danny talks about a concert that he and a girlfriend and one of her friends had gone to um, while he was living in Homestead. They went to go see Alvin Lee in the 10 years after. Once they arrived and found some seats, Danny went to go get some refreshments for everyone. And as he was walking around the stadium, he heard somebody yelling, Purple Haze, Purple Haze for sale. And Purple Haze is a type of LSD. And Danny bought a hit of Purple Haze for $2. He popped it and went back to his seats. And as he's sitting there, he thought that something should be happening already, that he should be starting to feel high already but it didn't seem to be hitting him. So he got up and went um, went back out and found the guy who had, had sold him the first hit of Purple Haze and complained to him that he wasn't high yet. Dealer gave him another hit of Purple Haze and told Danny that if this didn't do it for him, then nobody would be able to help him. Danny went back to the seats and he waited. And then... Danny described it like this. He said, someone poked their finger in the spokes of the universe. And he was um, tripping pretty hard after that. When he'd been in the men's room at the stadium of the concert, Danny had seen in the mirror a demon staring back at him with red glowing eyes. Once he got back to the barracks, he looked in the mirror again. And this time he said he saw his face melt away and it revealed a bleached white skull with bulging eyes. During this relatively short period of time that Danny was stationed at Homestead Air Force Base, he claims that he did LSD more than 100 times. In addition to that LSD, he also um, did, uh, took chocolate mescaline, quaaludes, smoked marijuana, smoked hashish, and even took angel dust or PCP. So let's talk about what the effect of each of these drugs is on, on the brain in general, and then kind of talk about how that might impact a not fully developed brain. Mescaline, which is a substance that's extracted from the uh, peyote cactus, um, is a partial agonist of serotonin. So what does that mean? Well, an agonist is something that initiates or enhances the level of a particular substance. And serotonin helps modulate feelings of well-being, cognition, memory, learning, reward. So some of the effects of mescaline and its, its enhancing of the release of serotonin is mescaline use, it can lead to perceptual anomalies. And these are things like seeing sounds, smelling colors, um, hearing taste, that kind of thing. Long-term use can lead to psychosis or flashbacks in the user. LSD or acid is lysergic acid diethylamide. Um, it's derived from lysergic acid that's found in the parasitic rye fungus um, C. purpurea. LSD acts on the medial prefrontal cortex, the ventral tegmental area, um, the RAF nuclei, and Lilocus ceruleus. All right, so <laughs> what are those, right? So the prefrontal cortex, we'll talk about that in just a second. The ventral tegmental area is just an area in the brain um, where neurons that create dopamine are located. And the RAF nucleus, um, this is where serotonin in a particular area of the brain is synthesized. And then the locus ceruleus is where norepinephrine is synthesized. So if you're really into this whole brain stuff and where things act on what parts of the brain, if you go to my website, www.skbpod.com and go to the blog, I have a blog on brain basics. And so I go through what each area of the brain does and, you know, in pretty simple terms. And I also have actual brains that I have labeled to illustrate where the different areas of the brain are. So you know, I like to look at pictures and that helps me understand stuff in a, in a more comprehensive way. So there if you want it. Now, LSD works on two different pathways. 
Um, one pathway is the locus ceruleus, and the other one is the RAF nuclei. All right, so norepinephrine in the locus ceruleus. Um, the, this, this area, this LC, the locus ceruleus, it has axons that travel to the cerebellum, to the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the cerebral cortex, and the hippocampus. The cerebellum has a number of different um, functions in, in the overall structure of the brain, but it's probably best known for its role in the modulation of movement. The thalamus is sort of the uh, brain's relay center. The hypothalamus is the body's organ of homeostasis. It's kind of like the the main computer of our entire body. It oversees, the hypothalamus does oversees just about everything. The cerebral cortex, we know that's where all of our higher thinking, where all of our you know visual association, hearing association, where all of that stuff happens. The hippocampus is involved in consolidating memories. Now, the, uh, the locus cerulis is part of the ascending reticular activating system. And the RAS regulates attention, arousal, your sleep-wake cycle. Now, the RAF nuclei are involved in pain regulation, but also the RAF nuclei are also involved in, in the reticular activating system as well. So the, the RAF nuclei are thought to regulate sensory input or filter out noise. So these two pathways are where LSD acts upon them. So at the locus ceruleus and at the RAF nuclei. LSD is a partial agonist at serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine receptors. Although LSD acts as a partial agonist at serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine receptors, it seems to have the most impact um, on the serotonin receptors. So what that means is that as the LSD binds to these receptor sites for serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, that causes increased levels of those neurotransmitters um, to in the bloodstream to happen. So then they're going to elicit their effect. So remember, serotonin contributes to feelings of well-being and happiness. And many of your uh, popular antidepressants out there are SSRIs, which are selected serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And what that means is they, they keep your cells from taking up excess serotonin, which then allows more serotonin to be in the bloodstream, where then it can go act on uh, different parts of the body to increase your feelings of, you know, happiness and, and well-being. Dopamine is part of our reward system. So it's released in response to pleasurable activities. And what that does is it reinforces the behavior. Now, dopamine is released in response to just about any pleasurable thing you can think of. Sex, eating, um, you know, smoking cigarettes, drinking caffeine. You know, it's all, all of those things activate dopamine just to different levels. So, for example, you know, food addictions are some of the hardest to kick because, you know, you need food every day, so it's hard to avoid it. But what happens is when you eat foods that are high in starches, carbohydrates, sugars, those sorts of things, it causes low levels of dopamine to be released, right? So you're always chasing that very low level when you're battling a, a food addiction, Norepinephrine is part of our sympathetic nervous system response, and it's released in response to increased levels of stress. LSD is thought to affect a functional area of the brain called the default mode network, and it does this by disintegrating it. And when the default mode network is disintegrated, I'm using air quotes, it allows areas of the, the, the brain to communicate um, that would normally not communicate with one another, and it produces a more integrated pattern of connection throughout the brain. The default mode network, it's most active when the brain is at rest or when the individual who has that brain is at rest. So it's the part of the brain that's active when you're just sitting around and really not doing much of anything. So you're not reading, you're not engaging in any kind of activity. It's just what's, what's going on when your brain's at rest. So like I said, LSD affects the default mode network by disintegrating it and allowing the different areas of the brain to communicate that normally do not. 
what can result is something called ego dissolution. And ego dissolution is when you experience a compromised sense of self. And this can be a very spiritual experience, um, reaching Ananda or Atman, um, which are uh, in yogic texts, those are like the ultimate levels of understanding and um, becoming one with God, right? So, so by ego dissolution, you can gain a feeling of unity with your surroundings. The dissolution of ego can also be a very traumatic experience. It can cause self-disturbances that are linked to psychosis and schizophrenia. Now, the default mode network, because it's a functional area, it can be a little bit hard to wrap your head around. Um, but again, it, it, it's active while you're resting quietly. It's like streaming consciousness. When they've done brain scans on people with like schizophrenia, um, one of the autism spectrum disorders, ADHD, even Alzheimer's, what they found is that de- the default mode network will exhibit different levels of activity depending upon the health of the brain. The default mode network includes um, areas in the medial prefrontal cortex, the posterior cingulate gyrus, the inferior parietal lobule, the lateral temporal cortex, the hippocampal formation, and the precuneus. So let's start with the medial prefrontal cortex. The medial prefrontal cortex is involved in higher cognition, planning, personality, and proper social behavior. The posterior cingulate gyrus um, is involved in emotional responses. The inferior parietal lobule is involved in language comprehension, mathematics, and body image. Um, The lateral temporal cortex is involved in memory, language, and hearing. However, in a, this is really interesting, I think, in a 2001 study published in Psychiatry and Clinical Neurosciences, the authors reported that the lateral temporal cortex was extremely active in patients who were undergoing visual hallucinations at the time that the brain scan was happening. The hippocampal formation is thought to be involved in memory, spatial navigation, control of attention. The precuneus, which is within the temporal lobe, it's involved in bringing memory into consciousness. The precuneus is also involved in the the integration of information relating to perception of the environment. This is sometimes referred to as, as gestalt. Um, It's also involved in cue reactivity, so how you react to different types of environmental or personal cues, mental imagery strategies, episodic memory retrieval, and um, effective responses to pain. And and what I think might be the most interesting piece of it is that it's involved in self-referential thinking and self-centered mental imagery. LSD can have some some negative long-term effects as well. You can have persistent psychosis, which would include or could include visual disturbances, disorganized thinking, paranoia, mood disturbances. Then there's something called um, hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. And this basically means that you have um, flashbacks or even after you're done doing the LSD years and years later, you can still have hallucinations or other visual disturbances like halos or trails on moving objects. And often it, it exhibits itself in neurological disorder-like symptoms. Danny also experimented with quaaludes. Quaaludes are synthetic barbiturates and they act as agonists at a particular type of receptor, these gamma Um, aminobutyric acid receptors. And GABA is an inhibitor. So what what that means is it's a central nervous system depressant. So it causes calm, euphoria, sleepiness. And this particular type of receptor um, is found in like 20% of all of your central nervous system synapses. Long-term use of quaaludes has been linked uh, linked to the development of severe depression and anxiety. Danny also reportedly did PCP or angel dust. PCP use over an extended period of time can lead to persistent speech problems, depression, anxiety, memory loss. Users can experience flashbacks in which a sensation or hallucination may recur days, weeks, or even months after um, you've taken angel dust. The long-term effects can be anxiety and withdrawal from social situations, stuttering, inability to articulate, or inability to speak at all. 
chronic and severe anxiety and depression, um, possibly leading to suicide attempts. Toxic psychosis may appear in chronic users who do not um, have a prior history of psychiatric disturbances. So the symptoms of toxic psychosis are aggression, hostile behavior, paranoia, delusional thinking, and auditory hallucinations. I think it would be an understatement to say that Danny was doing some severe damage to his not fully developed brain. Danny's sadistic fantasies escalated. His masturbatory release now came when he fantasized about stabbing powerless women. But before we talk more about Danny's own sadistic fantasies, let's talk for just a minute about where sexual arousal or desire comes from. Well, it originates in the brain, specifically in the amygdala, the ventral striatum, and the orbitofrontal cortex. So let's start with the amygdala, which is part of the emotional brain. In males, the amygdala is larger than it is in females, and that difference in size is specifically in an area that's responsible for the uptake or the absorption of testosterone in males. In general, testosterone is linked to aggression. Not that all men are aggressive, but testosterone has been directly linked to aggression. The amygdala communicates with a whole bunch of different areas of the brain, attaching emotional memory when it's activated. So the amygdala can trigger extreme pleasure, memories of sex, erection, and even orgasm. So let's add just another layer to that. The amygdala also has tons of opiate receptors. Um, And there's also a whole lot of natural endorphins. And These are activated during pleasure-seeking behavior. So in fact, the activation of the opiate receptors and the endorphins is linked to addiction. The ventral striatum contains the nucleus accumbens, and the nucleus accumbens is a group of cells where dopamine is produced. Remember that dopamine is directly correlated to addiction, and it is released as like a reward for pleasure-seeking behaviors. The ventral striatum is activated when you prepare to do something pleasurable or anticipate doing something pleasurable. That takes us to the orbitofrontal cortex, and the orbitofrontal cortex is associated directly with impulse control, and it's thought to to mediate that relationship between reward and punishment. There are several studies that, um, that showed that that patients that had non-functioning neurons in their medial orbitofrontal cortex, they had an increased sex drive and an inability to control their response to sexual stimuli. And in extreme cases, this led to hypersexuality, drug use, gambling, as well as an inability to empathize. Because Danny was masturbating to fantasies of stabbing women, What can happen as a result of this, and I've talked about this um, over and over again, is operant conditioning. So masturbation is a form of operant conditioning, which is, think about Pavlov's dogs, right? So Pavlov was able to get the dogs, his dogs to drool or, you know, froth at the mouth when a bell rang because he got them to associate that bell ringing with food being served to them, right? So the operant conditioning that's attached to masturbation happens kind of in the same way, right? So as you masturbate to this sadistic fantasy, the the orgasm and the pleasure of the masturbation actually reinforces that fantasy. And so it's kind of like how addiction works. It's that things have to get more and more and more and more and more intense in order to feed that um, or chase that high. When you engage in something pleasurable, right? So sex, food, and food specifically, high fat, high carb kind of food, drugs such as marijuana, cocaine, heroin, nicotine. There's an area of the brain called the ventral tegmental area, and this triggers the release of dopamine. Dopamine then is is connected to that nucleocumbens that I was just talking about, and the nucleocumbens is associated with motivation and reward. So the ventral tegmental area, the nucleus accumbens, all of these are part, or both of these are part of this, the, the pleasure pathway, right? So the, the reward of orgasm is going to reinforce your urge to engage in that particular fantasy. 
One night after Danny had been out at a bar drinking while he was still stationed at Homestead Air Force Base, he jumped a fence into an apartment complex and was going to go swimming in the pool. But then a um, Cuban girl who had been standing nearby got his attention and invited him back to her room. Danny said he was pretty drunk and that this was when he lost his virginity. He said immediately the next day he regretted it because she wasn't very clean. Danny was very, very obsessed with cleanliness, and so that'll be a recurring thing in his relationships later to come. It was 1972. Danny has orders to go to Vietnam. Danny would never go to Vietnam because he was caught with drugs and he was charged with possession. He ended up being discharged from the Air Force after 19 months and he was given a general discharge for recurring behavioral problems and in, quote, underlying immature personality, end quote. Military psychiatrists noted that Danny had a personality disorder, but there was no clear diagnosis given. It does seem like Danny was exhibiting antisocial behaviors um, because he'd had a number of repeated disciplinary actions for failing to obey orders, for using marijuana, and for theft. Um, On base at that time, they were investigating a, a military police officer who dealt drugs, and the dealer started naming names. Um, to try to mitigate how much trouble he got into or she got into. And Danny was one of the buyers that the dealer named. So according to Danny, and this is a story that uh, that he talks about in his book, When Danny was brought in for questioning um, after he was named by the drug dealer, they told him that they were going to search his room. So they were in a different building away from the barracks. And Danny asked the guy, the whoever the in charge guy he was sitting with was, if he could go get a soda. And the guy said, yeah, all right. So Danny went out to go get a soda, but instead he ran all the way back to his barracks, somehow got up into the room because there were MPs stationed outside of the barracks door so that he couldn't get in through for the hallway. And somehow he got up onto the second or flirt, third story, wherever his um, room was, went through the window, got all the drugs out of there, And as he was running through a field back to where he was being questioned and held, he dumped um, he dumped the marijuana into this field. And I guess years, you know, months later, marijuana plants started um, started sprouting up uh, at Homestead Air Force Base. Eventually, his bad behavior would catch up with him and he received an Article 15 And what an Article 15 is in the Air Force is a non-judicial punishment. Basically, it doesn't have to go in front of a judge, and it only happens when there's 100% certainty of guilt. The commanding officer can determine punishment, demotion, forfeit pay, extra duty, etc. So it seems that this was when Danny was discharged from the Air Force. So after the military, Danny returned back to Shreveport And he arrived back in Shreveport about 1973. He stayed with his parents, um, and he continued to drink and do drugs. So Danny was living with his parents, and sometimes when things got too difficult in his parents' house, he would go stay with his grandfather, Daddy Walter. At this point, James was not physically assaulting Danny any longer, but he did continue to verbally assault his son, and he basically mostly ignored him. James also would not allow Claudia to cook for Danny, to do his laundry, to do anything for him. Well, Danny struggled to hold down even menial jobs. Again, he's showing this kind of traits of antisocial personality disorder. And his inability to hold down even a menial job increased his anger, and his anger increased his sadistic sexual fantasies. Danny finds Jesus. How is it that Danny Rowling found Jesus? According to Mary Rysak in her book, The Gainesville Ripper, and Fox and Levin's Killer on Campus, 
One day, a group of young people, two men and a woman, saw Danny doing drunken karate chops in front of King's Temple, and they stopped to help him. I mean, who wouldn't stop to watch somebody do drunk karate chops, right? But anyway, this group of um, this, this group of young people stopped to try to help him. And eventually, one of the young women in the group told Danny that he should join them in the church because he had nothing to lose and that God was waiting in there for him. Okay, so that's one story that a couple of books published. According to Danny, he was hitchhiking home from, from a, a night of bowling when a man named Brother Estes stopped and offered him a ride. Brother Estes asked Danny where he was going, and Danny gave the man his grandfather's address. Well, right, I think it was a street over from Danny's grandfather's address was Brother Estes's church, which is the United Pentecostal Church of Shreveport. And I guess they went past it. Once and then Brother Neon missed a turn or something and then drove back um, back by the church again. And eventually Brother Estes told Danny that that was his church. And he asked Danny if Danny would like to go in with him to pray. For some reason, the, the thought of going in and praying with Brother Estes really grabbed hold of Danny. And Danny agreed to go into the church. And as they walked through the church, Danny saw some men who were praying. And I guess they were um, speaking in tongues. And Danny thought this was so strange and beautiful that he knelt there at the altar and prayed with the with the gentleman who, according to Danny, began to weep for Danny's soul. He felt something that he had not felt in years. He felt a peace, and he began to weep. It was that night that Danny gave himself to Jesus. Well, that should fix everything, shouldn't it? Shortly after being born again, Danny was baptized, and he started to attend services five days a week. He joined the church choir. He drove the church bus for the handicapped. He dressed up as the Easter Bunny. So it seemed that he was trying to get his life on track. Reverend Hudspeth of the United Pentecostal Church of Shreveport felt immediately when he met Danny that Danny was very troubled. But when the Reverend asked Danny about this trouble, Danny denied having problems, denied ever having used drugs. And for this brief time, while he was attending church, some of his violent fantasies stopped. Danny finally felt like he had some place he belonged. He felt that his life was on track to, to feeling at least as complete as he had ever felt. But he felt something was missing. And so he prayed to God for a partner, for somebody to marry. And this is when God sent him Omatha and Halco. Um, they met at a church social, and Danny was in love immediately. In fact, after he met Omatha, he stopped drinking for a while. Danny brought the love of his life home to meet his parents. And when he did, James pulled her aside and asked her if she was really sure she wanted to be with Danny and really wanted to marry him. James also pulled Danny aside and asked Danny where he got off getting a girlfriend. Well, the couple married just four months after they met on September 6, 1974, and Omatha was with child at their wedding. Omatha would later say that um, in the beginning that her and Danny's sex life was okay, but that he eventually began to struggle with impotence. This probably can be attributed to the fact that real sex with his wife lacked the control that he had in his masturbatory fantasies. Danny was not able to hold down a job, and Omatha would later describe him as being very sneaky. And it wasn't long after their marriage that Danny returned to peeping and drinking, and he blamed all of this on um, Omatha's frigidness. Um, Omatha would describe a time when Danny came home really late, and he was vague, like he came home from work late, and he was um, really vague about where he had been. Danny went back out again. And later that same night, a couple of police officers came to the door asking um, Amatha where he, where he was, where Danny was. And the officers told her that Danny had been out peeping. Probably not a good thing for a brand new marriage. When Danny did have a job, he had trouble behaving properly. He would not show up for work or go into work late. One time, Danny wouldn't get up for work. So Amatha called his parents and Claudia and James came over. James pulled the covers back off of Danny and put a knife to Danny's throat. This really bothered Danny for a number of reasons, one of which is because he was sleeping naked and he was afraid that his mother had seen him without any clothes on. So within that first year after they were married, 
Their daughter, Kylie, Daniel Rowling, was born sometime in March of 1975. And according to authors in um, the book Beyond Murder, Danny worked two jobs and he was so controlling. Sometimes he would force Ametha and the baby to sit in the car while he worked. So Danny was showing some signs of domestic violence and control early, early on in their marriage. In 1976, Danny would describe um, several visitors that, that he had, and he described these as demons from hell. One night in July, Danny was visited by what he described as a demonic presence, like a shadow of evil that seemed to hover over him, taking hold until he said Jesus three times, and then the presence left. So when I read this, I thought immediately that maybe he was suffering from sleep paralysis, So during sleep paralysis, individuals will often hallucinate and the person is conscious or seemingly conscious, but they can't move their body. It's during this this sort of altered state of reality or consciousness that people often have visual hallucinations. In the very old days, people would hallucinate demons um, sitting on their chest, pressing into their chest. Uh, A lot of the alien abductions from, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, when people described being visited by aliens and being taken out of their room and taken up to, a, you know, an alien spaceship, that they think that the, the explanation for all of these sorts of things is sleep paralysis. Usually just lasts a couple of minutes. But if you don't know what it is, I'm sure it's terrifying. So new baby, marriage falling apart already, demon visitors. Well, what else could a guy do, but leave his family for a month. So he claimed that this was in response to an incident that he had with Amantha when he wanted to go deer hunting, but she told him she wouldn't be there when he got back. He got in his car and he drove to Clearwater, um, Clearwater, Florida, and got a job cleaning the oven in a pastry shop. Diddy stayed in Clearwater for about three weeks, but eventually he realized he had to go home. So on his way back to Louisiana, He pulled off the highway in Mississippi, and he found himself out in front of an old one-room church. And he thought, well, this will be a good place for me to sleep for a little while. But as he slept in his car in front of the church in its um, adjoining cemetery, because, you know, often churches have cemeteries, he felt and then he saw a presence rise up from the mist, a dark, evil presence. And this presence beckoned to Danny. And in Danny's retelling, he says, quote, um, You know, it it was just a shadow at first. It stood up and headed for the ironwork gate. As it opened the gate, there was a screech of protest, and the visitor passed through, then walked. No, it didn't walk. It floated across the mist-covered frozen ground. Closer, closer came, arm outstretched and pointing towards the parked car. End quote. So again, he was visited as he was asleep or in some state of you know, between wakefulness and sleep. When he returned from Florida, he gave Ometha no explanation other than he'd been in Florida. Ometha also left Danny a few times, um, a total of three different times she left him for her high school sweetheart, which, I mean, I, can you really blame her? Things did not get any better for Danny Rowling. In fact, they got much, much worse. Danny had gotten himself a job as a truck driver delivering paper and printers to um, Louisiana, places in Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas. It was during one of these deliveries while Danny was driving a heavy-duty dump-like truck. He was taking a stretch of highway that he was really familiar with, um, but there was a curve in the highway, and the curve was blind, and he was going pretty fast. So he went around this blind curb, and as he went around it, he saw that there was like a double-wide house trailer that was blocking the one bridge for that road. Um, And then there was a brown van that was also blocking his path, and Danny couldn't stop. So he hit the back of the van, and he saw a woman fly out of the back, and he saw her head split open onto the concrete. So the woman's husband, of course, ran out of the van and tried to help her. He was covered in her blood, and he rushed towards Danny yelling, you bastard, what have you done? And Danny said that this haunted him for months. 
this accident seemed to have sent Danny further down into his ever-increasing darkness. In 1977, um, Omatha takes Kylie and she leaves Danny. When she told Danny that she was leaving him for good, he attacked her and he pounded her head on the floor. He threw her clothes out and then he picked her up and he threw her out with her clothes. He would have left her out there had it not been for Kylie urging him to let mom back in. Well, once Amatha came back in, he followed his wife and his three and a half year old daughter into the bedroom. He then pulled out a shotgun and his daughter begged him not to shoot mommy. Danny turned the gun on himself, but of course he did not kill himself. He put the gun away instead. They all ended up going to bed together, but when he got home from work the next day, Amatha and Kylie were gone. So he viewed himself as the victim here. He was the victim of this terrible divorce and and separation. Um, And he was devastated by the separation, and it made him feel even more inadequate and abandoned. Shortly after Amitha and Kylie left him, he took off for Huma, Louisiana, and he was looking for work there. And somehow, like so he went down to the docks looking for work on one of the, the, the boats. He was able to gain some sympathy from one of the boat captains, and he got a job on the boat, the Clifton Briley. He worked on this supply boat for about two months, but he could just never get over the seasickness, so he did not stay. He returned home and went to go find Ametha and Kylie. Ametha had gotten back to or had gotten back together, gotten together with her childhood sweetheart. When Danny found this out, he decided that he was going to kill Ametha and her childhood sweetheart, John. But luckily, he did not do it in front of his daughter. Six months later, Ometha had Danny served with separation papers. So join me next week for the third of this five-part series, Danny Rawling, the Killer Cowboy Crooner. Next week, um, we're going to dive into the aftermath of Danny's divorce, um, some more visitors, and we'll follow him as he descends deeper, deeper into the sadistic darkness. Thank you for listening to SKB Serial Killer Brains. You can follow the podcast on most of your social media platforms at SKB Pod. You can visit the website at www.skbpod.com. And on the website, I've got a blog about the different parts of the brain. And there's also a blog with uh, information on Danny, some of his drawings and pictures of him, that sort of thing. If you're enjoying SKB, please take a moment to give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your podcast app of choice is. So don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for joining me on my quest to understand evil. Until next time.
With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.